Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this week, in the spirit of just fully getting into the auto sports experience, we headed off to the track this weekend. We did, but we had an incredible track experience this weekend. Now, this wasn't like the big headlining track. This is. We weren't in Singapore. No, we were not in Singapore, unfortunately. Um, possibly fortunately, because it is kind of humid there. Well, yeah. It was a perfect night when we were there. It was. We got to spend some time over at the Nelson Ledges Road Course, which hosts nothing you've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) They host a moto series. They do. It's a very small-scale, low-key moto series. This is essentially a neighborhood track. They don't have a grandstand. Yeah, they don't. But we did have the run of the place. Uh, Pretty much. We got to go anywhere we wanted to go. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully to... My connections. Yes. So we got to go up and uh, experience timing and scoring. Mm-hmm. Uh, find where the race control, as it were. All of race control, where the drivers' meeting and riders' meetings are held, and um, we got to tech see inspections. Tech tech inspections. See where all of the flags are stored mm-hmm. for all the corner flags. Um, we got to go to the marshal stand at the start finish straight. Yep. Um, which they call the fishbowl. Um, well, it's a series of four sliding patio doors. Well, yeah. Um, but uh, and our son, the boy, got to throw the checkered flag at the end of practice. He did. So it was it was a really nice experience. I mean, again, a simple little track, not not a whole lot going on there, but it was a track experience to get you out there. Well, yeah. You know, it's funny because it's the thing that we've talked about almost all weekend. Um, even though we're recording this, we have not seen the race. And uh, early indications are that we are going to talk about the race quite a bit <laughs> once we see it. Yeah. But um, it was it was a couple of hours of hanging out at the track, getting to meet some incredibly nice and very cool people. Yep. Um, and a little tour of the track and... Um, some honorary t-shirts from Moto Series, and, you know, feel like a little superstar. Yeah, and, you know, a special thanks to the folks over at Nelson's Ledge for welcoming us down there to to, to hang out and, and, you know, give us the full tour and let us head out on the track for a bit. Yeah, now the cool thing about um, Nelson's Ledges is that they are sort of basically a neighborhood track. They're a two-mile road course mm-hmm. with four miles of tires. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that particular stat fascinates me but it's two miles of tires on each side of the road um hence four miles um but they were they've been under new management for last season and this season um they're almost done with the season this year but they are truly a struggling grassroots kind of track they're basically open because people love the sport and people are trying to make it work for them um Every dollar that comes in the front gate is going straight into that track, including trying to repair potholes um, as fast as possible. Yeah. But it's known to be a rough track, and it's better than it used to be. Um, and apparently they have flush toilets now, which is yeehaw. It was a big, well, it was a big thing for them. They pointed that out special that yeah. they now have those. And so. uh, they're tearing down some of the old pit toilets uh, as fast as they can. <laughs> so um, a lot of the old abandoned trailers are off the property. The property is actually looking beautiful. It's 116 yeah. acres. Um, and they're they're looking like they're really trying very hard to maintain it. Um, 
so it's very cool. There's some auto clubs that are going out there. There's a couple of track days for cars, but particularly what's driving them right now is that moto series that comes out. I think they had six races this year. Um, and there's some testing that some of the car companies are doing out there as well. Yes, which I think is very cool. I mean, kind of this little secreted place in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, I don't think it's ever going to be a crown jewel of anybody's calendar, but it's nice to have it in our backyard. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So it was a good weekend. So speaking of big weekend events, at a track, Melbourne has signed up to host the Australian Grand Prix through until 2023. So not the weekend event I thought you were about to talk about. <laughs> you know, Melbourne, that's that race we've already had. It is. You know, that's that race that starts at the beginning of the season. It is, but it is also a fun race. It's a great track. So hearing that they are continuing to host is, it, it's good to hear. Well, you heard that they did this and signed this commitment to block out Sydney from having the race, right? I heard that there was something up with Sydney getting in there. What's interesting is that Sydney hasn't hosted a race before. It was Adelaide that used to host them. Mm-hmm. But they didn't want Sydney to have it. Well, they host a great event, so it's good to hear that. Congratulations, Melbourne. In other news... Bernie has spoken. Oh, no. Think before you drive? No. Women are appliances. No, instead, because and, and we know that Bernie doesn't like the current engine formula. He's been against it. Ever since it was announced, he's been looking for ways to kill it off. And his latest pronouncement is that the V6 is stopping other people that may want to be in Formula One from actually coming in because they think they have got to take on somebody who is doing a terrific job and try to beat them. He added that the reason that Mercedes is doing so well is that its former team director, Ross Braun, helped to design the engine for F1's governing body. The problem is Mercedes had a, actually had a big, big start on anybody else because the guy who was there at that time was Ross Braun and he was on the FIA working group with this engine knew all about the engine what the engine was going to be and Mercedes started working on this new engine before anybody knew there was going to be an engine change so in other words because Mercedes is doing well according to Bernie no other team is willing to come to F1 it couldn't have anything to do with all of the other problems of F1 including unequal payouts payouts the fact that the person who's charged with promoting the sport doesn't or the way he does is to oh i don't know make stupid statements like this to the press but essentially do you under do you realize what he has just said that mercedes is too good and because we have a team that's too good we, nobody else wants to join the sport not just that he just called mercedes cheaters he just said that the reason they are so far ahead is because they knew this was coming before anybody else did. And by definition, were working on it before it was public knowledge. So that they had, what, a year extra to do anything with it. So thus, that's why they're so far ahead. That is, by definition, cheating. But that is only if you believe the allegation or you, ju you stop at the... Ross Braun was on the team. 
Mm-hmm. It, it was more than just Ross Braun who was involved in the design of these engines and developing these specifications. Oh, yeah. It was not just this one person affiliated with this one team. Right. So despite what Bernie's saying, no, that's not it. In fact, one of the teams that is struck, one of the engine manufacturers that is struggling the hardest, well, not quite the hardest, but one of the hardest, is one of the major pushers for this particular engine in the series. Yep. Hi, Renault. <laughs> yeah. I mean, does he not have at all a grasp of reality? Well, or maybe he needs a time machine to go back and know how it really happened. I, so, you know, it goes back to our normal allegation of, is he senile or is he an evil genius? Yes. Because... If he's senile, then yes, this was spouted off and has no meaning and no background. Mm-hmm. But if he is an evil genius, this was spouted off because he knows that everyone's going to go, what is he, nuts? And they're going to sit and talk about it and chew it over, and it's going to get press, and it's going to get ink. Well, and then we're being sucked into it just yeah. like that. But at the same time, part of the flashes of bernie's evil genius is that he'll spout these things off and somehow down the road they start tying together yeah i i think it's less that i mean if you really want to analyze this and and really debunk bernie's position here Mm -hmm. mercedes dominance i think is less of a deterrent deterrent than honda's failure well, that is definitely a deterrent because that's saying somebody new in the sport has got a giant hurdle to overcome right. and join in. But how, my question is, how is it that Mercedes dominance today is a deterrent and yet Red Bull's dominance of the previous generation wasn't a deterrent? That's an excellent question. And, it, you know, it goes to the exact same thing. But it's the overall structure, despite the fact that Bernie doesn't want to admit it, it's the overall structure and format of the sport. Right. As much as we like the sport, the fact is, if you are coming in as a brand new team, let's use our friends at Marusha as the perfect example. Mm -hmm. If the sport was going to truly attract new teams— and wanted to show new teams that it was a viable option to come into the sport, then we should never be able to say with confidence that Marusha, under absolutely no circumstances, will not make it out of Q1. The truth is that cutoff point, and who's going to hit that cutoff point between Q1 and Q2, and again, Q2 and Q3, should always be a nail-biter. It should always be that close. You should always be feeding these teams enough money to survive so that they can develop their cars. And this goes back to the changes that they're making to to the rules, that they're proposing to the rules next year of, well, let's go ahead and have you can either spend $18 million and get a brand new spec engine, or you can spend half that and get last year's engine. Why? Why create that this is the team of, haves and possibly will wins and everybody else well you add to that that the payout structure is such Mm -hmm. that a new team cannot cannot get any of the money 
that they they will basically put money into the sport for three solid years before even if they were off the charts stellar, which is unheard of, they would ever see a single dime come back at them from the sport. How do you do that? How does that encourage new teams? The truth of the matter, the real truth that Bernie does not wish to say out loud or is smart enough to keep his mouth shut on is Bernie doesn't like new teams. Bernie really only wants to see Ferrari out there. That's why he pays them a buttload of money to continue. No, he he likes new teams. He likes big teams that pay their bills and then some. That's what he likes. That's what he wants. He's happy for Honda to come back. He wants Honda to come back. They're a big company with a lot of money behind them. But teams like Sauber, teams like Force India, teams like Marussia have no interest to him because they don't have deep pockets. They don't have a ton of investment. They, they do not attract anybody to the sport. So he's got no interest in them. But yet they but do. If, but, if, but if Ford turned around or Chevrolet turned around and said, or even Toyota turned around and said, we're thinking about coming into F1. He would welcome them with open arms because they're big names with big money behind them. And that's all he wants. It, well, that's what he's looking at. He's looking at everybody's wallet mm -hmm. and not measuring the measure of the team. Because if he measured the measure of the team and what the loyalty that could be behind it as far as fan support goes, he would have bent over backwards to make sure Caterham didn't fall. Yep. Well, you remember his standard. Pay me, and I like you. Your bank account must be this big to enter. He, yeah. He's a very short man. He's like, he's your pile of money must be this yes, high. Your bank account must be this big in order to enter. So moving on. Still on Mercedes. But off of Bernie, because really and truly, I want to get off of Bernie. But unfortunately, we can't completely ignore the tires, as much as I'd like to. Pirelli has come out and said that the investigation at uh, Monza was just a misunderstanding. How do you misunderstand? Um, well, they've met with the FIA to prevent similar incidents in the future. Uh, basically, it is regarding when the pressure limits are checked, when they were looked at, all of those things and how that was handled. Pirelli says it was a misunderstanding. It shouldn't have happened this way. And we're going to fix this for the future. Now, we do know that the the tire pressures were changed only for Monza. They're they were higher than normal in Monza. They're back down to normal for this week in Singapore. Right. But Pirelli insists that they are that this was a misunderstanding. Pirelli also got some other good news. Possibly, whoever if Pirelli does not take the the tire contract. If Michelin gets it, this could be good news for them. One of the things that Pirelli has been very frustrated about the last two years is the lack of tire testing. Correct. They have been granted the, chest, the chance to test F1 tires for both 2016 and 2017. Um, there is supposed to be a two-day test following Abu Dhabi and then a, a two-day wet test in January at the Paul Ricard circuit in southern France. Doesn't that sound like it's probably going to mean that we're going to have Pirelli tires for the next two years? I mean, why would they be test? Why would Pirelli be testing if Michelin's going to have the tires? Well, it, it's open for anybody who has the contract in 2017. Oh, that they're going However, to have tire testing. However, Bernie has come out and essentially said that he wants Pirelli to do it. Well, Bernie speaks. So 
apparently Bernie doesn't like Michelin for some reason or another. I don't. I know wonder why. if their pockets aren't big enough. Is their pile of money not high enough to meet his standards? Quite possibly. You know, I have a problem with people that can't figure out what things are worth unless it's based on how much money they bring to the table. I'm starting to see Bernie and Donald Trump in the same light. You had to bring him in. I know. You had to. It was too easy. Bad hair. It's too easy. Oh, is that what it is? Hey, while we're still talking about money, um, we've got more information about what they're looking to change for 2017. Now, this is specifically regarding testing and development. Uh, Formula One wants to, actually in 2016, they want to put in a cost cap on engines and ban wind tunnel use. Ban? Ban. What they want to do, and, and right now your use of it is, is kind of limited, but they want to use computational fluid dynamics instead of wind tunnels. So basically computer simulations to determine how the car will behave. I don't think it's a great idea. My brain just hurt. All of the thoughts colliding at the front of my brain to say at the same time, it hurt. Okay, what, why would we replace reality with a computer simulation? Why don't we just have all the drivers sit in their little special chairs and drive the various tracks on the Xbox Formula One game? Well, to put it all in place, they're hoping to save with everything that they're looking to do between 20 to 25 million euros with all of the proposals per Be team or total i'm not sure i believe it's per team okay but i'm not positive what they're talking about is in addition to eliminating the wind tunnels and going to more simulator simulated wind tunnel testing um current spec engine will get a cap of not of 12 million euros, where currently they are between 15 to 20 million euros, while a one-year-old spec engine will cost 8 million euros. Again, going back to that whole thing of the haves and the never wills. Mm -hmm. um, there will also be a 2 million euro cap on gearboxes, which for some teams will represent a 50% savings. Wow. Yeah. Um, now, the proposals head to the F1 Commission and subsequently the FIA World Motorsport Council, which is supposed to meet on September 30th. So these are all coming out of the strategy group. Oh, so this stuff doesn't matter necessarily because, remember, the strategy group proposed refueling. They did, but they also backed down on it, too. And, wow, that was a really dumb idea after everyone thought that, yeah, at first it sounds kind of cool. And, no, wait a minute. Well, somebody's going to go, at first it sounds great that we could sell half-price second-year engines. But it's not going to work very well. Yeah. Next. So the other news this week is Red Bull. Red Bull. There's a lot happening with Red Bull. Um, we've gotten a lot of confirmation that there is definitely going to be a split between Red Bull and Renault. They've had enough. It's going to be messy. Mm -hmm. with, this is this is divorce court. Yeah. Um, We've gotten confirmation from both sides that Mercedes will not provide Red Bull with engines next year. Nope, they will not. Which leaves only one option. It has to be Ferrari. 
and Ferrari has said that they would supply them. Mm-hmm. So let's look at the, the costs of this plan here and, and how it could possibly impact Red Bull. Um, for starters, Red Bull is looking to, at, at this rate, they're going to finish fourth in the constructors. That's a two-place drop from 2014, which in itself means a loss in the region of $20 million in terms of prize money. Wow. That's just that. Now, splitting with Red with Renault, you've got other issues. For starters, the team's title sponsor at the moment is Infinity. That deal is worth a reputed $30 million a year. So if they split with, with Renault, you've got to assume that that deal goes away. So there's $30 million. Um, equally, Red Bull receives sponsorship money from the French oil company Total, which is the longtime supporter and technical partner of Renault. So you can imagine it would also make an exit. And it may be that Red, that Red Bull would have to end up paying money to break the Renault contract. That could be millions. Mm-hmm. And they would also have to pay in a region of $20 million based on current costs for engines from Ferrari. Because right now those engines come to them for free from Renault. Oh, that's or at the expensive. very least, the title sponsorship from Infinity covers the cost of the engines. That could be very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It could be very expensive. I, There's nothing more I can say. It's, it's going to cost a buttload of money for them to break this contract. But the upside benefit, and you know that all of the boffins are doing the mathematics, that one one placement up in the driver's championship can net them back quite a bit of that. And you know that they may lose Infinity or Total, but they're going to gain somebody else. Well, that's the hope. And, and you got to wonder if they partner with Ferrari. And the bottom line is if Red Bull can't get a deal with Ferrari, they're out of the sport. Right. They need to have an engine, and Ferrari is apparently their last best hope. Right, because there's no point in them going to a Honda. Uh, at this point right now, I don't think Honda can supply them. And even if they did go to Honda, like you said, there's no point. It's a step backwards. Right. If they're angry at Renault, they're not going to go to Honda. Yeah. Um, but this weekend, over on the BBC some interesting comments and they've got it up on their website as well um eddie jordan has put out and and we have only heard this from eddie we have not heard it from anybody else but eddie jordan says that volkswagen is close to a deal is close to agreeing to a deal to take over the red bull team now this would not be next year this would actually be two years from now so the thought would be that Red Bull would pick up Ferrari engines for the next two years mm-hmm. to then be able to go, so it's actually in year three, to yeah. then go to become a works team for Volkswagen. Eddie is predicting that of all the brands, it would be an Audi brand. Yeah, you, Volks, the, the entire Volkswagen group, um, besides owning Volkswagen, they also own Porsche, they own Lamborghini. They own Bentley, they own Bugatti, they own Seat, and they own Skoda. Now, it's highly doubtful that it will be Seat or Skoda. I could see Bugatti, I could see possibly Bentley, but I don't think so. 
Or I, I don't Lamborghini, like... I think, would have worked if we were with the bigger engines. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think Audi's the one that Audi makes the most sense to me. Yeah. Honestly. Um, though I could also see Porsche, but Porsche could, but I think it's more likely to be Audi because of Audi's dominance and, and expertise in um in the WEC. Mm-hmm. Now Eddie's also saying that the team would be run by former Ferrari team principal Stefano Domenicali, who left the team last year to go work for Audi. Yes. That I think is part of his predictions that is most shocking. Because my next question is, what happens to Horner? Well, he could still stay as technical head or whatever. I don't know. You mean like the Mercedes model of let's hire everyone in some format? Well, they, they could have Domenicali um, as, you know, head of autosport whatever with Horner running the actual team. Well, that's entirely possible. Now, this isn't without precedent either. And, and And I should also add that the deal would be that Volkswagen would buy – ownership of the team but red bull would be a major sponsor possibly a title sponsor right um but this isn't exactly unprecedented for the two because red bull and volkswagen have a very very close partnership over in wrc right um Volks- i believe it's red bull sponsors volkswagen cars over in wrc so, I mean, that would make some great sense. We already know that there is a lot of move to make um, Lotus a Renault Works team. Mm-hmm. So all of those shifts, it's like three-card Monty, but all of those shifts are starting to make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think it would be utterly exciting to see Volkswagen hit the series. I just would. It would be. Um, the other thing that he threw out there, you know, we, we've mentioned that it looks like Marussia is going to be taking on Mercedes engines. Right. He also thinks, and it's an interesting idea, that this is going to be Mercedes' attempt to create um, essentially a child team. much a like for team. Our, Yeah, a feeder team. Because Mercedes needs that. They've got some up-and-coming talent that they need to be placing in the seats in order to maintain credibility within their, their young driver program. They've got to find a seat for Pascal Wehrlein. Yes. So the thought is they take on supply engines for, for Marussia and provide them with Pascal Wehrlein. The other piece of that is Mercedes, according to Eddie, wants to have a greater presence in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and would give that seat, the remaining seat, to Alexander Rossi. I who, think, we should add, is driving this week. And he's driving all but the last two, um, all but two more Grand Prix right. because he's got GP2 conflicts those weekends. Right. But the amount of airtime Inc. and otherwise that is being pushed towards Alexander Rossi having a seat in F1, whether it be on Haas's team or whether it be on Marussia, I will be flummoxed if Alexander Rossi does not have a seat next year somewhere, somehow. It depends on how he drives, truly. Now, 
this weekend, at least in qualifying, he did not out-qualify his teammate. So that that all could play into it. I mean, if he gets soundly beat by Will Stevens because he's replacing uh, Mer- Roberto Mary, mm-hmm. if he gets soundly beat by Will Stevens every time he goes out there, uh, that doesn't look too good for him. It'd be interesting. So, yeah, we'll see how that how that works out. The other bit of silly season we news or silly season news we have is that Jensen Button has come out and said that if he is he will only drive for McLaren in 2016. He is not interested in a seat with Haas. He is not interested in a seat with anybody else um, because anybody else would be a lesser team. It is McLaren or bust. So Jensen is going to be commentating for NBC Sports next year? We could only hope. I was reading on Facebook. This is complete utter aside. One of my friends on Facebook, who you know, her husband is a Formula One fan. And apparently this past weekend of watching a race the line wow look at him drive that car was actually said on the nbc sports coverage i'm betting it came from david hobbs who's probably drunk (laughs) um and all i could say was oh i'm so sorry (laughs) yeah hey they want a bigger presence in the U.S. F1 wants a bigger presence in the U.S. They need to lean on the coverage in the U.S. to actually, oh, not treat us like idiots. Because I'm telling you, I'm not a football fan, but I'm willing to bet that every time you turn in, tune into a football game, they don't explain what a football is. <laughs> that maybe at one time it was called a pigskin or something, absolutely stupid no. do they explain why they wear helmets every time you watch a football no, game what, if you wanted to put it in perspective and make it similar to the formula one coverage they would not tell you what a football is they would explain to you what a first down is and they would explain to you what the end zone is that's what they would do oh that's right what is a first down moving on <laughs> Further rumors regarding driver positioning. Now, this comes from us. So I don't know how valid this source is. It comes from autoaction.com.au. So it's an Australian autosports site who is claiming that Roman Grosjean has told them that, quote, he has made his decision and everything is clear in his head. He knows what's going to happen for him in the future, and he won't tell you anymore. However, they are saying that he has signed a pre-contract with Haas. The reason why it is a pre-contract is that his deal with Haas, according to them, stipulates that if Renault buys Lotus, then Grosjean has the option to stay with that team. But if the sale to Renault does not happen, then Grosjean will go to Haas on a three-year contract. If this is true. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to give Haas credit for trying to pick up Grosjean over Maldonado. You mean Crashing. competence over over cash? Yes. That's it. Oh. That's the decision. Competence over cash. I like it. <laughs> Want to know the difference between Grosjean and Maldonado? There you go. Now, Lotus insists that they will, or at least their deputy team principal, 
insist that they will survive the season and beyond, although it's still up in the air because, you know, we expected on Friday to have a decision in this court case with uh, Revenue and Customs over in the UK regarding back back taxes, which, um, oh, I don't have, oh, here it is. It is currently a unpaid tax bill of 900,000 pounds. 900,000 pounds? Yes. Wow. Um. We were expecting a decision to uh, on Friday because we had gotten word that the judge two weeks ago had gotten a note from uh, lawyers representing Renault saying that they were expecting a, a major deal to come in place that would take care of the team's finances. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet. That's just weird. But they were given another seven days. They were, they were given another seven days, which apparently ticked off revenue and customs. Lotus... Their plea is that if, because basically, if the judgment came down against them, they had to pay this money, the team would have to shut down immediately. And as a result, it would cost 400 jobs. Oh, wow. So, so they've been given another seven days. Well, hopefully somebody can put some ink on some paper then. Which becomes the next bit of confusion, because Renault came out this past week and said that over this whole red bull thing they're done they've had enough they're walking away from formula one they're gonna honor their current contracts and they will not be a supplier to formula one anymore mm-hmm. that's what they've said but we know that there's this negotiation going on in the background to buy lotus so how is that going to work if they're not going to supply engines how does that work i can't explain it the only thing i can think of is that they become a Mercedes team. It's the only thing that makes sense. But why then why come back into the sport? Right. That's an interesting thought. It, it was it was a very odd round of comments that came from Carlos Gosen over at Renault this past week. Yeah. I've I've been trying to figure out how to square that circle and it's not working. But if the negotiation is that Renault comes back with a works team with Lotus, but buys Mercedes engines, even if it's just to the end of this era of engine, mm-hmm. maybe that's what they're thinking is that we could, we need to cut bait and run for this era. Could that be the impetus for why Mercedes won't supply Red Bull? Well, I don't know. Because maybe that's the giant F you. That, that, that could be some of it. And we, we know that there is a partnership between Renault and Mercedes over on the road car side. So there is a working agreement between the companies. But we also know that Nicky Lauda was fully in support of Mercedes providing Red Bull with engines. Toto Wolff overruled him. Right. But... You know as well as I do that there are things that Toto knows that Nikki doesn't know. True. I don't know. More to come? More to come. Definitely more to come. So let's move on to Singapore and what we do know and what we have seen. First, I've, I've got some great stats this week. Stat me. So for starters, and this particular one comes, comes from our friends over at Williams F1. Okay. Okay. Singapore is one of only three city-states in the world 
alongside Monaco and Vatican City. Okay. Of those, the Vatican is the only one not to hold a Grand Prix. You know what I think this means? That the Pope needs to have a Grand Prix? I think we need to have a Pope Grand Prix. <laughs> I, I, I do definitely believe that we should have, the, the Pope himself should lead the Grand Prix in his Pope Mobile. That's the safety car. Yes. <laughs> you could have, instead actually, of the grid girls, you could have little, the Vatican guards in their funky uniforms. Yeah, see, the problem actually with the Pope Mobile being the safety car is that, at least from the pictures I saw this morning down of him down in Havana, the Pope Mobile is a Peugeot. Mm. And Mercedes provides the safety cars for Formula One. So I, I don't know how you'd make that work. Did you notice that the Pope Mobile is open on the sides now? Is it actually open, or I thought it was the same box that it was before? No. Before, you could see that it was like a box of glass all the way around. Mm -hmm. You could see him, but you couldn't get to him. It now just looks like it's a giant windshield so that the wind doesn't, you know, as it's going forward, doesn't push him over. But the sides don't, unless that is incredibly clean glass that shows no reflection whatsoever, it looks like the sides are now open. I don't know. I think this Pope has got fewer enemies. Don't know. Anyway, so moving on. Back. Back to our stats. Okay. By the way, I should throw out there that this is not, as much as Singapore has only been on the calendar in 2008, this is not the first time, the, the, the only time that a race has been held in Singapore. Oh, really? Originally, and it was technically a Malaysian Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. But it was back in like the 60s or the 70s, before Singapore gained its independence, there was a Grand Prix race held there. Really? Yes. Very cool. <laughs> but this, the current version of the Singapore Grand Prix, which is holds the distinction of being the first of the night races, and mm -hmm. I think w definitely one of the visually prettiest of the races, mm -hmm. started in 2008. The circuit distance is currently 5.065 kilometers, and the race lap record of 1 minute 48.574 seconds was set by Sebastian Vettel in a Red Bull in 2013. Very cool. Singaporeans are the fastest walkers in the world. At 18 meters in 10.55 seconds, it would take just over... 49 minutes to walk the length of the Marina Bay Circuit. Interesting. The manhole covers on the street circuit are welded shut before every way, every race, because mm -hmm. otherwise they would be sucked up and thrown into the air. and That, that would be, be bad. Yeah. Um, one of the most notorious moments, Singapore, happened in 2008 when Renault's Nelson Piquet Jr. deliberately crashed at the request of his team to help teammate F Fernando Alonso win the race. Wow. Most wins by a team, Red Bull with three, with everybody else, McLaren, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Renault, just one. Chewing gum has been banned in Singapore since 1992. That I knew. Probably, my guess would be from The Amazing Race. Yes. See, there you go. The race is not the only After Dark attraction in Singapore. A night safari opened in 1994. 
The Marina Bay circuit is lit by 1,500 halogen lamps. And Singapore, with a population of 5.4 million, is geographically the same size as Anglesey, which has a population of 69,000. That means a lot to us Americans. That means <laughs> nothing to me. Okay, my last one. Yes. Most wins by driver, Sebastian Vettel, and we're talking prior to actually seeing what happened with this week's race. Sebastian Vettel has three, Lewis with two, and Fernando with two. Interesting. And that's thanks to the folks over at BBC Sport. Thank you. I don't have anything to say about it. It's it's a Singapore race. I remember the first time we watched the Singapore race, the big story was about how they kept the drivers cool, and that fascinated me that they basically sit in ice. Essentially, and it they is. wear ice packs and ice suits and various and sundry things because they are so dang hot. Um, and one of the one of the shows talked about how many liters of water the drivers lose. So one of the things yeah. they have to do is that weigh-in process. Mm-hmm. They have to account for how much the drivers lose during the course of the race. And Singapore is almost guaranteed to have safety cars and almost guaranteed to push the two-hour time limit. Yep. And that's the, the reminder is that Formula One races have a hard stop at two hours. Right. Once you hit that two-hour thing, you end the race. That is the last lap. You're done. And Singapore has has hit that limit several times. Yeah, it's a it's a long circuit and it's a it's a slower circuit. So the big story coming out of qualifying is that Mercedes struggled mightily. They did, and really oddly. Um. As a result of that, our top three ended up being Sebastian Vettel with the pole, with not only his first pole with Ferrari, but Ferrari's first pole in 61 races, mm-hmm. which is just incredible. Oh, yeah. Daniel Ricciardo just behind him, and Kimmy behind him. We don't see a Mercedes until P5. Yep. With Lewis and P6 with Rosberg. The first four positions are Red Bulls and Ferraris. Yes. I, like much of the world press, like much of the teams, I'm flabbergasted. I'm, I'm completely flabbergasted. Well, does Mercedes have anything to say that to explain it? I mean, did they forget to put the engine in the car? Did they... Well, we've got some comments from the folks over there, and this week we have something new. Instead of our audio coming from the folks over at the BBC, we actually have some audio from the folks over at Sky Sports F1. So you're going to be hearing the voices of Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert and some other guy. Some other guy? I don't know who he is. Oh! I just know Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert. I don't know who the other guy was. I've been so excited to hear hear from some other guy. (laughs) I think it might be David Croft, but I'm not sure. They didn't tell me. And the other two, I, I knew who Damon Hill was and Johnny Herbert. They told me that's who he was, but I don't know who the other guy was. So. All right. <laughs> but anyway. This is uh, Damon Hill. and <laughs> we, we, We've got some comments from, from, for starters, Toto Wolf. Okay. Not the other guy. But when you can't get that speed from that car, Toto, it's a different story, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think it's maybe not the, the speed of the of the car or the performance of the car because a car doesn't deteriorate from one week, race weekend to the other. We have a good engine and a good downforce. Is uh, from Friday onwards, we just haven't been able to translate that on the track. Uh, we are lacking grip um, all over, and uh, this is when this, such. This is very unusual to hear this from from you. I mean, it's, it's it's a hell of a shock to everyone else. I mean, we just heard Sebastian Vettel saying it's a bit of a surprise that there's no Mercedes up here. But you must be completely, uh, you know, shell shocked. The whole team must be very surprised. Well, I think it, there is worse than the, you can. Shock is probably not the right word because we need to stay calm and analyze what happened. But we are very surprised, and we've been very surprised from the beginning onwards. Uh, you start with a certain simulation and what you expect from the track and how you want to set up the car, and it somehow didn't work. And uh, we took a couple of junctions, and they proved to be the wrong junction. Is it too simplistic to say there were a couple of people we were watching it with that thought you might be running the car too soft or both of the cars too soft? Um, no, you, it could be too soft, it could be too hard, it could be uh, uh, many various factors. This is the difficulty, but uh, we have been uh, very good uh, for two years now and we never got a foot wrong. And this time uh, it was a massive step rearwards and uh, just need to concentrate on our strengths and get it right for Suzuka. Okay, um, for Suzuka, and therefore are you saying, you, I mean, tomorrow, race pace-wise, do you feel that you can you can match the Ferraris, you can you match the Red Bulls? You should never give up, but you, uh, also you shouldn't expect any miracles. Uh, we're starting P5, P6, our long runs have not been uh, very good. Um, this is not a track where you can overtake, and uh, um, I would, uh, I'm a little bit calmer for tomorrow. You're a bit calmer for tomorrow. Okay, Toto, we'll, um, we'll let you. you go. Yeah, I... Thought his comments, especially towards the end, were really interesting. That essentially, they've written this race off. I think they did. I, I definitely think they did. Um, I think everybody thought that Mercedes was sandbagging on Friday. They did. Uh, th- there were some comments uh, in Sky's post-race coverage from Daniel Ricardo, who his his. Uh, the, the way he put it was that he thought Mercedes was trying to t- make it a little more interesting on Friday. Uh. Um, yeah. Nobody really, A, expected what happened with Mercedes, and I don't think anybody could really, really understood what was happening. Um, you know, let's, let's hear from James Allison over at Ferrari. So help a simple-minded person like myself understand how that has come about and, and how you had such a margin over Mercedes, who've been such, so strong on, on Saturdays recently. Was it the engine, new engine from Monza? No, I think, I mean... The- the effect per horsepower here is about 0.1 of a second for 10 horsepower. It's inconceivable that you could make that difference with horsepower. Um, I think the gap to Red Bull is sort of more or less where it should be at a track of this. The strange thing is how slow the Mercs were. But we've been reasonably effective at Monaco, Hungary, uh, and so not too surprising that we're good here, but uh, obviously delighted by the margin. And what does it mean for the race? Obviously, it's very difficult to overtake here. Pole has won more times than not. Well, we have to do a good start, and uh, and then everything's possible. Well, that's highly encouraging from Ferrari, but I think everybody, even the joy of having the pole position, is like, this is great. We're where we thought we'd be with another team, but where are the marks? Yeah, we, we don't get why. The, the best that anybody thinks thinks it is is because of the tires and all the mercedes were having problems the williams um the williams yeah they they were down what seventh and eighth all the mercedes powered teams struggled with it it wasn't even just 
Mercedes itself. The best guess that anybody has is that the super soft tires, and, and both tires are, are, are similar in this, but the super soft tires in particular, which is the, the, the big tire that everyone wants to use on, on this track, have a very narrow operating window for temperature. Mm-hmm. And once you start to get out of that window, you start having problems. The other thing is the track itself, the layout of this track, while it's very similar to Monaco where Mercedes did well, it is much longer than Monaco. So a lot of the strengths that Mercedes has, that even in Monaco, because it was a shorter track, weren't um, they, they were still able to leverage, they're not able to leverage here. This doesn't have a lot of long straights. This doesn't have a lot of high-speed turns. And all of those things work against Mercedes. Oh. That That's makes, the theory. That makes good sense. But ultimately, there was a lot of grip issues. And because of that, the cars weren't running as well. I mean, l- let's hear from Lewis. Hi. Look, I'm not, I'm not used to seeing you at this stage of proceedings. P5 today. And how do you explain that, that massive deficit, that one and a half seconds in a fortnight? How could you lose that sort of pace? Uh, tyres. <laughs> yeah, I don't know really what we've got wrong, but you know, a big congratulations to the guys up, up ahead. Uh, to be honest, it's been exciting you know, to be having that fight. This is the first time we've gone into qualifying with that kind of, um, you know, pulling even more out of the car if you can. Um, and therefore sometimes making mistakes. So it was actually really challenging. And But, yeah, these tyres, for some reason, aren't working on our car. It's so weird. You know, you heat them up, same as everyone else. You do your warm-up lap, same as everyone else. And then, uh, yeah, you finish your lap, which you think there seems to be a K-grip, and then you see someone else a second up the road. So it's very strange. And is it just the options or both sets? Both. Any fallout from the, the tyre pressure situation from Monza in terms of adapting to that? I doubt it. So what about the race tomorrow? Do you think you guys can get your head around this tyre issue before then? And, you know, it is a circuit that you do well at. I know that the overtaking options are fairly limited here, but can you get on the podium tomorrow? Uh, that's going to be the goal. I mean, the goal is to still win the race, but it's going to be it's very hard to overtake here. And, um, and the others, particularly the Red Bulls, were incredibly quick uh, through the, the long run. So, you know, it is what it is. We'll, we'll fight as hard as we can. I doubt it we're going to find something between now and, and, and tomorrow. But if we do, great. Wow. <laughs> and, and there's nothing to really be found between the two sessions. Once the car goes out for Q1, there's no real changes you get to make other than like tire pressure and maybe some settings on the wing. That's it. Well, and, and that's exactly what I think Lewis is saying is that there's nothing to be found. It's not like we're going to oh, somebody forgot to tighten down a bolt, and now all of a sudden we're a different car. Yeah. It, this this is what they're facing. Um, I, You know, the press is very fickle. And when Mercedes won the first uh, race of the season, we heard, oh, it's going to be Mercedes the whole season. They're going to win all the races. It's going to be a one-two Mercedes all year long. Yeah. Everybody else should just pack up their little engines and go home. And then we had China and Vettel winning China. And, oh, well, maybe we have another contender. Well, And so now we're faced with they're now P5, P6, which, yes, it's very odd for them to be there, but it's one race out of possible 19. The, the other thing, though, is, okay, if you step back to the start of the season and looking at the way everybody's 
everybody performed in testing and how testing went, it didn't look like Ferrari had really improved. Mm -mm. Even Ferrari didn't think that they had really improved. And for Vettel to end up on the podium as quickly as he did was a shock to everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, China rolls around, or was it Malaysia, where he ends up winning the race, and it was stunning because nobody thought that they had that kind of performance in them. Well, and I think that the testament to Ferrari is that they have improved consistently all season long. They have done very well about growing and getting better. Mm -hmm. I just don't believe that this is the sign of death amongst Mercedes. Oh, I don't think it's the sign of for death. For one race in one season. More, what I find more disturbing is the fact that nobody knows what happened. Mercedes can't answer that question of what happened and what what they changed that has left them on the back foot. And I think that's what's really catching everybody out, is that there's nothing that they can look at and, and go, you know, there, there was a, an obvious suspension issue here that it was a reliability problem. None of that. It is the cars were running, the, per, the engine is performing exactly as we expected it to, but the grip wasn't there. The car wasn't performing at the level that we would expect it to for no obvious reason why. And that's what's got everybody so confused and, and so baffled. And, and that's why I think you're getting the reaction in the press. You're getting the reaction from the teams. You're getting the reaction from the drivers that you are. Because there's nothing that anybody can point to and say, that's what happened. Nothing that anybody can say right now. I yeah. predict that within five days, we're going to find out that they've either figured it out or they think they've gotten close, but they changed something. Something has changed. Something was not working within the window that they needed to. And much like Pirelli with going back and going, okay, we're going to look at the records of the building of that tire because they're mm -hmm. handmade and all of this. And we're going to go back and do all of the forensics that needs to be done to figure out what happened. And they still come back and say there's 62 cuts on the, the tire. I have a feeling that there are, it's not that there's a lack of records as to how those Formula One cars are set up and that they're going to go back and change, you know, look at each one of those tweaks. What was different between the last race and this race that changed it? And yeah, Lewis says it, it's the tires, it's grip. Something's going on with the grip. And is it temperature? Is it something out of their control? Or is it something that they could control? Well, you know, Nikki Lauda's got, a little more information for us. So where was your grip level? Gone. It was gone. Why? Through the black things. So if I would know, I can tell you. The problem is what is annoying that we are, we tried everything with the car. Yesterday, today, doing qualifying to get the grip level back, but it never came back. So we really have to sit down now carefully and understand what we did wrong because the car is no difference. The engine is the same, the tires are the same. Something we, we must have done wrong here in Singapore what we did not understand, and we have to find the answer. Well, we have to, we have to put into the equation, Nikki, the question as, as to the, the tyre pressure ruling that came in that affected Monza. You know, they're, now they're much stricter and they made it very clear they're going to they're monitor it all the way to it. Has that had an influence? No, because the tyre pressure here is like it always was. In Monza, they increased it because of the problem of Spa, 
But here we're back to normal tire pressure we always had, like in Monte Carlo. Mm. So this was a good, sure, no effect on, on our problem. So is it an imbalance front to rear, or it is it just an overall lack? No, it's a terrible, you guys know, under the overs, the under the overs. You never got the grip level like Sebastian did a fantastic job with the Ferrari and the Red Bulls. They got it sticking into the ground. They couldn't adjust their balance and drive quick. We just had Jensen Button on, and he was exp- saying that, you know, it, it, it's track-specific, surely, this. When we're coming in to the rest of the season, you're not anticipating no, this being last year, last year, the, the Mercedes car had no problem here whatsoever. <laughs> but for me, it's simple. The, if the window, the tyre window where you should work is about that, that big, little cooler, little hotter, you're always in the tyre window. But we're out. So you're out. below it. We're below. So if you don't get into here, you cannot adjust the car. And Toto wasn't particularly uh, hopeful of, uh, of tomorrow's chances, not think something that could be rectified. Pure speed, no way. Uh, you have to find pit stops to undercut. Uh, you have to take chances. And this race is always difficult for people dropping out by accidents or mechanical problems. So I think we have to be careful in the early laps and then sit there. And uh, hopefully, if something happens in the front, Lewis can get maybe third, the most, I would guess, today. Okay, Nikki, thanks. Wow. I love listening to Nikki Lauda make predictions. <laughs> I just do. You know, he's so sure. Well, you know, th- there's a pretty good um, body of knowledge and experience that backs up what he has to say. Well, I understand <laughs> that. That's, that's, that's part of the reason why, you know, when Nikki Lauda speaks, I listen. <laughs> I think the man has incredible amount of brilliance and understanding where they stand today and what is possible. He says it without emotion. I mean, yeah. And it's just a, it's just a fact. And I think that that's awesome. I mean, I, I feel sorry for the Mercs. I I don't know what they don't know either, and so I can't armchair yeah. fix their problem. But I can tell you they have one. I can tell you that they are going to figure it out. But I don't think in a Park Ferme situation, they can figure it out. Well, the the real question, I think, and this goes back to the comments that, that Toto made earlier, the, the real question is, is whatever it is that they change, that they can't figure out right now, is that something that's going to impact in Suzuka? Is it something that's going to impact further on down the line possibly oh i don't know in brazil which is also another one of these short twisty tracks right so and i think that's the concern so they'll figure it out they're mercedes they rock (laughs) they will do it they are german they will they will solve this they will move on to the next it is precise it is done yeah well mercedes is german isn't toto austrian i believe he is austrian if he's Mar- not Austrian, he sounds exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger to me. No, I, b- I believe he's Austrian. Married to a Scottish woman, but hey. <laughs> Who works for Williams. Yeah. I still love the fact that they text each other during the, the race. <laughs> I, I, I just can't imagine what the trash talk is during the race. <laughs> um, But even still, I, I yeah. I predict that they're going to have a bad day on uh, Sunday. I just do. We're in here, Toto, going at a bad day at the office. It was a bad day at the office. And you know something? Mercedes had, at the beginning of the season, everything going for them. And everybody said that if they could get out of their own way, 
they could have a brilliant season. And they're having a brilliant season. I, and, and I still and I'm not think saying they, that they they're not going to have having, a brilliant yeah. season. They have 415 constructors points going into this weekend. Yeah, they would be hard-pressed not to win the Constructors, and I think there's probably a pretty good chance that they will have that Constructors championship in Russia again, Mm -hmm. just like last year. I I mean, I think that they will have that thing tied up. Their closest competitor has just over 200 points. They are almost 200 points ahead of their closest competitor. Actually, they probably won't have it in Russia. Because Russia is not third race from last this year. It is fourth. Ah. So they will probably, I'm thinking, get constructors in uh, Texas. Wouldn't that be awesome? It could be kind of cool. But they're going to have the constructors this year. I predict they're still going to have the world championship. Yeah. I mean, you still get one and two. Mm -hmm. And so it's not all hope is lost. They're having a bad weekend. It's just not as easy as it looked like, oh, four days ago. Right. That's all it is. That's all it is. And you know something? Inevitably what happens to Mercedes and what everybody has been so impressed with with Lewis this year mentally is that when these hits have come, and they've had a few hits come Mm -hmm. this year, they've buckled down and sorted it and not let it affect next race. Yeah. You know, and that's... Lewis has made some bad calls. Lewis has made some mistakes. And they've cost him wins that he shouldn't have lost. And so in that, Mercedes is going to do the exact same thing. And when we get to Suzuka, we're going to see Mercedes again. And then the press is all going to be like, they're back. And oh, they're fabulous. Yeah, probably. Fickle, fickle press. It's no different in any other sport and anything else that the media covers. Well, except for Browns fans. Okay. Every, yeah, that's true. Because in Cleveland, everybody loves the Browns no matter how bad they're doing. Well, Browns fans love the Browns. There you go. Some of us are not Browns fans, mostly because we don't understand football. <laughs> All righty. And on that note. We're not quite going to call it a show. First, we will remind you that you can find us over on iTunes. Leave us a review, if you would, over on Facebook, over at the Bloke and the Bird Show, or also over on Stitcher. And on that note, it's we'll a show. Call it a show.